0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Ward Sandler, co-founder of MemberSpace. In this episode, we talked about the biggest points of failure for first-time subscription business owners, the evolution of pricing and packaging at MemberSpace, and the importance of figuring out what customers are willing to pay before you build a product. We also discussed how MemberSpace educates its customers on churn, how Ward maintains and keeps up with customer conversations as the company grows, and how you can decrease churn with cancellation alternatives. And here's today's episode. Hey, Ward. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Ward is the CEO and co-founder of Memberspace, a no-code platform that allows anyone to turn the website into a membership business. Uh, Memberspace has helped thousands of website owners to set up subscription business and generate millions of dollars in recurring revenue. Prior to Memberspace, Ward owned a web development agency. Uh, We actually, Memberspace spawned out of due to recurring requests for membership features on their client sites. My first question for you, Ward, is after building a platform to help anyone get started with a subscription business, what would you say is the biggest point of failure for first time subscription business owners?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think there is an obvious answer, but one thing that I've definitely found is that you're probably going to need a decent size audience. If you don't have, for example, just general conversion rates, right? If you get 10 people that are following what you're posting in your email list, If you want 10% of them to convert, that's only one person. If you have 100 people, that's 10 people. If you have 1,000 people, that's 100 people. So having a a decent-sized audience or a following uh, that cares about what you're doing and getting that set up before you launch is a really important thing to do. It's not absolutely necessary. There's definitely examples out there of people that have built it as they launched. But in, in general, we found the most successful site owners generally have some kind of audience built up first.
0: Cool. And so let's just talk through a little bit about the types of customers for a bit more context uh, when you talk about the audience size. So what I got from the site as well is uh, you, it looks like you get a lot of content creators, course uh, builders, this sort of uh, types of businesses trying to get up and building recurring businesses. Is there any other types of customers that you work with uh, that are using your platform to allow them to build a membership business?
1: Yeah, I like to think of it like a box of Legos is the analogy I give. So it's like a random box of Legos that you can put together however you want. And that's what we are. Because at the end of the day, what we're doing is protecting any pages of your existing website. So what you put behind the page is up to you and it could be anything. So we have folks like not-for-profits who use member space to protect like their meeting minutes after each meeting. And there's only like 10 folks that are even members and they're free. Just so, you know, members of the board that can log in, things like that all the way up to folks that have like gigantic video libraries on their website that only members can access for hundred dollars a month. So it really spans any kind of business where there's gonna be uh, content that only members should be able to see, whether that's for free or paid.
0: Yeah, and then as well, what I got from the site is that you're really trying to help uh, people build long-term sustainable businesses as well through this membership uh, economy now. What are some of the things you think about when it comes to building a sustainable subscription business? And obviously, you must speak to a lot of these uh, business owners themselves. What sort of advice are you giving them when they're getting set up to begin with to think a little bit long term uh, for their business?
1: Yeah, two of the big ones uh, is pricing, right? Choosing pricing that actually makes sense when you can do the back of the, the napkin calculation to be like, all right, if I got 100 customers who are paying me X, what would that amount of revenue be? And uh, is that enough revenue for me to actually support a hundred people, right? Like, would I actually be able to provide good quality support and everything I promised in my marketing website if I got that amount of revenue? Because a lot of people are underpricing, and if they start, if they actually did the math of like, wow, what if this took off and I got a thousand people? What I'm charging, I wouldn't be able to support them. Like, I wouldn't be able to afford to hire a support person to help me. I'd have to do it all myself. And so you're essentially creating a monster before you even started. So just kicking through the math of what you're charging and, and does that scale up and make sense. And then the other big factor, hat tip to the, the show, is churn, right? Paying attention to why people are leaving, why they're canceling, why they're having issues, getting value. That is a forever problem. as I'm sure you're aware that you have to always be figuring out and running experiments on but yeah, it's something to be paying attention to from the jump and having a, syst- a systematic way of, of addressing it each
0: month. Yeah. So I think you touched on two very uh, important topics there. And I'm actually interested because I think like from a pricing perspective, I think this is one of the things, uh, whether it be like a membership business uh, that you're trying to build yourself through subscription or a SaaS business, I think when companies get started out, they often leave pricing for the last thoughts. And it's just like randomly, let's go out there, see what anyone else is doing and tackling on a price. And this often more than not, it leaves a lot of opportunity left on the table. I'm interested like yourself at MemberSpace, like how did you go about figuring out your pricing and packaging to begin with?
1: Yeah, and it's still a work in progress. And just to add a caveat here, when I say with pricing to really think through how it's gonna work, it's not something that you should be spending like months and months figuring out. It shouldn't be a reason to delay launching. It is more important to get out there and just get started and start getting feedback from real people, regardless of the price. Because whatever you launch with, you're going to change anyway, no matter what. <laughs> but it's more about thinking through as you're evolving the price. Is this actually making sense and will it scale up? But yeah, to to get back to your question about how do we think about pricing at MemberSpace? So we've definitely uh, changed it a bunch over time and I'm sure it'll change again in the future. It's It's one of those things that you're always thinking about and always second-guessing yourself. Is this the right way to do it? Is this optimal? How much money am I leaving on the table? Do I want to leave money on the table? That's another thing. Leaving money on the table, not necessarily charging the most amount possible, that can be a good thing uh, because it builds up goodwill with people. It it gives them maybe more tolerance in terms of if there's a mistake or an issue with the software, not getting so mad because they feel like they have so much value they're getting anyway, it's worth it. Um, It also will help more people maybe sign up and start using the software. So finding that sweet spot where, you know, you're making enough profit for this to make sense and people feel like they're getting a good deal. There's good value. I think that's where you want to be. At least that's how we think about it. We're not trying to optimize for every possible cent we could get out of people. But yeah, the way we've thought about pricing, it's really evolved. Like when you think about a membership site, everyone thinks, okay, when you do pricing, you should be thinking about what's your value metric. Right, And for us, most people would probably guess, well, the value metric would be the number of members you have. And that's what we thought, too. And that's how we used to price. We used to have a bucket of up to 100 members was this price, up to 300 members was that price, etc. And we would just auto upgrade you as you got more members, like how MailChimp and other services do it. Uh, But that ended up not being a good value metric because the problem is a member is not a member on one site is not necessarily the same as one member on a different site. So for example, if I have, uh, a freemium kind of a, an option where most of my members are free and then I, the, the best ones, I try to get them to opt into a $100 a month, let's say resource library. All my members, I might have 100 members, but if 90 of them are free, that's not the same as another business that has 100 members where all of them are paying. <laughs> members became a bad indicator of value and it would annoy people sometimes because they'd be like, most of my members are free, but I have 100 members and now I'm going to upgrade, but I don't feel like I'm getting enough value yet. So it became tricky so that 's where we switched things I think it was about two years ago to focusing more on uh, transaction fees, which have it has its own kind of downsides right A lot of people don 't like the idea of paying transaction fees some of the we 've heard people say things like it feels like you 're taking money from me which if you 're charging money for anything right even a monthly just a general monthly subscription you 're still taking money from people so I, I never really understood that logic exactly but we found that by transaction fees, it's more aligned with value, right? So if you're generating a thousand dollars and we're taking say 2%, that's the same, that's the same you know, relative amount as if someone's charging uh, $10,000 and we're taking 2%. It's, it feels a bit more even and it aligns better with your, where your revenue's at. And it allows us to charge less monthly so that you can self-select to be on a, a lower monthly charge, higher transaction fee plan, or a higher monthly charge, uh, lower transaction fee plan.
0: Yeah, and then you automatically have expansion built into that due, due to the nature of your businesses. As your customers become more successful, you become more successful. I really like as well, like the focus that you mentioned, like the value metric, and I think this is something as well, again, like early days, uh, you don't really understand the importance of this and you just sometimes mark price on features and you put together a package, but really taking the time to think about like what is the main value that your customer is getting out of your service and trying to align your pricing as close to that as possible. Is always going to be the best way. Uh, something I haven't actually talked about on the podcast. Uh, one of the, the reasons for starting the show myself as well was to experiment and start my next company. And one of the ways I'm actually going about doing that is doing pricing studies to begin with. So whenever I have come to a point where I feel I've got something of substance, I've been uh, spinning up a landing page, putting together surveys and really pricing and packaging surveys is really just trying to understand, okay. Uh, what would the willingness to pay be for some a product like this, and what would the likelihood to buy? Uh, this is like a methodology, I think price intelligently works a lot with this uh, for those as well we had in previous loan so uh, Patrick but it, it's just a really interesting process to take, I think even from day one is just really trying to say okay what uh, is there in the markets like for a product or service like this, and then gives you an idea as well of what that value metric is, what would people want to be charged for the service, and then going into it from day one, you know okay the market at least is giving me signals. Now I need to go and build that MVP and uh, test it with paying customers. But it's something I think it can be done even before you have a product to really understand uh, the market and uh, where you can be positioning yourself when you actually do build a product. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then the next thing, so jumping then off to that, uh, you mentioned like churn and uh, retention being something that you you recommend uh, your customers really start to think about early and focus what are some of the things that you're working with them on and trying to educate them to do in terms of this? So I think from a membership business as well, it's perhaps a little different uh, to a SaaS business typically where you're paying for like that software as a service where it's more of an entertainment factor maybe or more of an education factor with your customers. But what are you trying to do to educate them to help increase retention uh, with their customers?
1: Yeah, so. A big thing that I try to espouse is to speak with your customer, which sounds like obvious, right? But the amount of people who actually get on a Zoom call and talk to an actual customer of theirs every week, that percentage is a lot lower than I think people realize. And there's tons of reasons, some of them really good for why that is, right? Some people are shy. Some people don't like uh, hearing potentially negative feedback from somebody. Sometimes people feel like they're too busy to do things like that and there's better uses of their time. But in my opinion, I don't think there's a better use of your time than actually talking with your customer and/or prospect about your system and helping them get set up, or answering things, questions that are confusing to them, or maybe strategizing parts of their business model with them. So I've done all those kind of things, and I, I do these kind of calls every day with customers, and I think it's something that is relatively low barrier to entry for anyone to start with especially when you're first starting your business right like you don't have a ton of customer support so you should have some free time available and so you should be spending that time talking with the the few people that initially are signing up and the ones that are the, the new customers and end legacy customers just getting on the phone and making sure that everything is working how it's expected Seeing where the glaring issues are in terms of onboarding, in terms of what were they expecting that they're not getting, in terms of maybe what part of your website is confusing or not clear, in terms of what part of your pricing maybe doesn't quite right, rub them the right way or your up- the upgrade in the next highest plan is, doesn't make sense to them. Like all those kind of nuanced variables that are going to exist in any business a lot of the information is hard to get out of surveys, we found at least. And I find it's better to just have anecdotal conversations with people and eventually trends and insights just bubble up over and over again. And it becomes obvious what to focus on in terms of what to fix or you know what, what to change.
0: Yeah. nothing can substitute speaking to customers for sure. And I like that you pointed out maybe like in the early days when you don't have Uh, Much business like support and all these other issues aren't such a big thing. So maybe spending the time really to get to know and understand. I think one of the the biggest problems as well with customer research and speaking to customers is often this is what happens is like the early days. You tend to sit and speak to a lot of customers and then slowly over time as the company grows, like you get further and further detached from them. And you still live with those biases that you had when you got started and you probably start to lose track over time. So I'm interested like now into the company, probably two, three years member space, maybe longer, I'm not sure. But how have you yourself uh, maintained and kept these conversations up? So you mentioned you'd have these conversations all the time, but how are you managing to do this now as you've built the company out?
1: Yeah, at this point, we've been around since 2015. So it has been a little while. Yeah. And yeah, that entire time I have been doing phone calls and now more we've switched to Zoom calls. The way I keep it up is basically... When our support team is talking with a customer, and if they're having like a particular issue, or they just—it's just something that would be better discussed via Zoom instead of via email—we just have them send my Calendly link over to them, and then they schedule a call uh, within a time slot that works for my schedule. So that's part of how I make it work, because obviously I'm relatively busy during the week, nothing crazy, but you want people to work around your schedule. So I block out certain time periods throughout the day that people can schedule the the call fluctuated with the volume in terms of how many calls I'll do per day. I used to be crazy and do four of them a day. And that was a lot on top of everything else you're doing uh, in your day. So I have recently limited it to around one or two a day. And that seems to be a better cadence. But yeah, just sending people a link and making it clear that, yeah, you can schedule this. And we actually previously used to just have the link right on our website. And and so eventually that kind of got a little overwhelming in terms of the volume. So we had to scale that back. And before that, we actually had a phone number right on our website that would go uh, yeah, right to our support team. We had to scale that back eventually too, because eventually you just get too much volume that the team isn't able to help. As many customers as quickly because the time's being taken up by people that are booking these things over and over again. So by doing it on more of a case by case basis, like we're doing now, we find that that works better. Um, But when you're first starting, these problems I'm talking about don't affect you. So you should be making it really easy for people to get in touch with you and really easy for them to schedule a call. I, I think that would be something everybody can do and everybody should do. I don't see a downside to it, especially in the beginning. You really need to get information from your people.
0: Yeah, I like that. Just even having the telephone number on the site because uh, that's something you very rarely see even from very early stage startups. But at that point in time, it's like when you really need to be speaking to customers the most. So then the next topic I'm actually interested in chatting about is a couple of things I want to do talk to you about. Is one is like we had a recent guest, uh, Panos from LearnWorld, And they were actually seeing really good headwinds in the lights of COVID now and the situation in terms of a lot more people going online and starting uh, online courses through them. Is this something, a similar trend you've seen now with more and more people really trying to build uh, subscription businesses and get their services online? Have you seen any of this, been caught in any of the headwinds yourselves?
1: Yeah, we've seen a huge surge close to 10x each month uh, compared to what we were doing pre-COVID, like so, starting in like March, April. Yeah, so we have definitely had a surge. And it makes sense. More and more people uh, are trying to bring their business online, especially folks who had traditional brick and mortar type stuff like gyms or yoga studios. We've had a lot of those kind of folks move on over because it's, yeah, you have to go online. And so I would imagine all of the platforms out there that allow you to have an online business, especially like content or courses, I would imagine they're all surging right now because everyone's scrambling to find a solution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even the podcast itself has uh, seen a big surge uh, since uh, things started getting messy. But um, yeah, so uh, actually one of the other areas I wanted to chat about today quickly was coming across member space, as I mentioned earlier, like uh, starting to try and build something next. I've been putting together landing pages and I started using Webflow and I was literally blown away by what's available now in the no code space. And I think that's how I came across member space, actually, because you had it's a template, correct me if I'm wrong, on Webflow's library. I found it as well earlier today. But how do you see the, the evolution of the no-code space going? And what part do you think you will be playing in it
1: yeah, and I think the template you're referring to is probably in like the showcase area in in Webflow. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we've made, I think, three templates at this point that people can clone for free on Webflow. So feel free to check those out. You can just search for member space or membership template. But yeah, in terms of where I see the no-code going and where we fit? It's a good question. I think no code is still a loose term. It, can, it, it means different things to different people. <laughs> and a lot of people, even though for, for folks who maybe are more in the tech world and more, especially into tech Twitter and stuff, no code is like a very known, yeah, no code's a whole thing. There's a whole community. There's lots of people building things with no code. But I think what's important to remember is that is definitely a bit of a bubble. The, the I'd say the vast majority of people out there, especially entrepreneurs, have no idea what no code is. And I've never heard that term. Like (laughs) if you're running a a yoga studio um, or a gym, you probably have never heard of no code, but you still have an online membership business and you need no code tools. And Generally, what we see ourselves fitting in is just in the people who are less tech savvy or or not really as tech interested, if you want to use that phrase. People who just want to make it work, right, and just focus on their business. They're not really interested in creating some crazy Frankenstein no code software tool. They just want things to work. They want people to pay them money to get access to their website where they have some Zoom videos that they update each week or something like that. Those are the kind of people that I think there's way more of. Those kind of folks that just want Easy solutions that work, and especially that have good support. That the support aspect of MemberSpace—that's really our number one feature because people just need help, right? There's technology can be complicated, even no-code. Uh, sometimes, especially no-code, because you're cobbling together so many tools that have dependencies and interact with each other, it can actually get pretty darn complicated. And so, yeah, being able to help people think through—you know—their business model, think through the layout of their website, think through how to integrate MemberSpace in the right way. Just you have to think through integrating any system. Providing support is something that you know, we really pride ourselves on and something that we're actually really trying to double down on. And I think that will be helpful for the no code folks out there as it gets, because as no code grows, there's more and more possibility of of what could be a no code site. As the possibilities grow, as the potential for what you could make with no code grows, I think it's gonna get, it makes it more complicated because there's more options. There's more things that could plug in and work together. So having someone who understands all the options and knowing how to put it all together, I think having that kind of in between is really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's almost getting to the point where it becomes like uh, Lego blocks and sticking them together. But I do see as well what you're saying. Uh, when you start to connect all these Lego blocks, eventually you get lost and uh, lose track of like how they are working and interacting with one another. And um, probably troubleshooting and uh, trying to figure out where something has gone wrong will get difficult over time as well. I, I wonder if somebody's really trying to, I'm not to wonder, probably somebody is already trying to solve this problem for others as well. The next thing I ask every guest that joins the show, I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well, uh, is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you join a new company and churn your retention is not doing great at this company and the CEO has come to you and said, we need to turn things around and they've asked you to try and make a dent in it, but they want to see results in 90 days. What would be some of the things that you'd want to be doing in those first 90 days?
1: So aside from what I had mentioned earlier, so I'll cheat here and give you two answers, but aside from what I said earlier in terms of making it easy for customers to contact you uh, and set up calls... One thing we found really helps is having uh, cancellation alternatives, right? So what what I mean by that is somebody goes to click cancel within their account for your subscription, right, to your site. And instead of just straight up saying, okay, you're canceled, giving them a few options. So not, this isn't saying you're not going to hide cancellation, you still can cancel, but saying, listen, before you cancel, do you want to try one of these alternatives? And some of the alternatives that we provide via member space and that we think are good in general for people to try to provide are number one, hey, do you just need to contact support? Are you just frustrated and you're clicking cancel because you couldn't find how to figure out how to contact support? Um, so we provide that as an option, uh, as an alternative. Another one is a coupon discount, right? Hey, instead of canceling, how about we just give you 50% off or 100% off your next month's payment? So kind of like pausing a subscription. And then the last one would be if you have a trial, right? If you have a trial on your subscription, giving people the option to extend their trial instead of canceling, like if they're currently in a trial. Because a lot of times we found at least people just need more time, right? There's nothing necessarily about your software they don't like or whatever. It actually has nothing to do with you. It's just their life, they're busy, they didn't have time to get around to it and they don't want to get charged, so they're canceling. Uh, But by offering the ability to extend the amount of time they have with your software oftentimes that'll stop people from canceling. So we found that makes a big difference for us in terms of helping our churn and helping our customers churn.
0: Yeah. those two interesting points as well. I think like the one is a trial period. I think that's definitely a very, very valid point. It's like people are busy and they might not get around to that immediately. Like they might have signed up for your service and then somebody walked into the office or they got distracted by someone at home. Uh, and then they might just completely forget for a few days. But it's, it's nice giving the extension. The other thing you mentioned as well was like pausing subscription. I think is very interesting uh, and something as well. I think typically like when we think about channel retention, maybe the it's maybe one of the last series you'd want to focus on when somebody's already made that active decision because the return on investment will be much better served like focusing earlier on in the activation flow. But it still is very effective. I think uh, actually at Hotjar when COVID really hits in, we quickly uh, reacted to it and we put in like a activation flow towards the end or out activation. I don't know what you want to call it, but an exit flow. Uh, And we offered to pause and I was actually really surprised by the amount of customers that reactivated. I think we gave two months pause and then you needed to reactivate, but it was actually incredible the amount of customers we ended up saving just from that small little addition to our exit flow. But yeah, so... Another thing I wanted to ask as well then is, what's one thing now that the business, like what, five years now, what's one thing that you wish you knew about churn and retention when you first got started that you now know today?
1: Yeah, if I had to pick one thing, I would say it, it relates back to how we started the conversation about thinking about your pricing. So. We, When we originally uh, have been, not originally, when, when we've been experimenting with pricing, one thing we experimented with was not having a fixed length trial. So like right now, we have a 14-day trial if you want to start member space on any of our plans. But we experimented with the idea of what if we just gave people five free members like unlimited trial kind of freemium style so you get up to five free members before you have to pay us anything in theory we thought that made a lot of sense right because people can take their time to get set up you can try the software with no no risks, no worry about being charged until you're successful and that all made sense in theory but what we found, and we actually ran this experiment for, I think it was like close to six months, was that it, it created a, a way for people to not get their stuff together, not to not execute and to not move forward with their business. They would just it stagnate. Is. Yeah, exactly. There was no urgency. So a lot of times people say, oh, a 14-day trial, a 30-day trial, whatever. These are just completely arbitrary time periods relative to what people need to do to get set up. And that's true. So is a five-member free trial, right? So and everything's pretty much arbitrary if you think about it. But what we found, though, is by having a fixed-length time trial, and I think this is why it's such a standard throughout software of having a fixed-length time period, exactly, uh, usually 14 days, is because it, it spurs people to action. It, it forces you to say, you know what? You have to you got to get going. You, you got to either launch or don't launch. And it gets people to, to do something because they know they're going to get charged at the end of it. And that motivation is hard to uh, understand. Estimate like you really need people need that right because launching a business launching anything new it's a whole thing right you got to get your website ready you got to get email marketing ready you got to get the content ready you got to get your business account set up there's all these things you got to do and everyone's busy everyone's got a million things going on in life especially these days <laughs> giving people some kind of an incentive some kind of a push uh, in a gentle way in a non-forcing way but a push to, to hey let, let's get going we found that's really important and I think that's something. That's important for other people to pay attention to, too, is the the, the fixed-length time trial.
0: Yeah, it's definitely very interesting, that urgency. I think also, like, when people first sign up for your service, it's the most attention you're ever going to get from them. And by reducing that uh, urgency for them to get started and give that extra motivation to actually do something, then I think... The longer time goes, the less likely they are to actually do something with your service. Actually, one of the uh, episodes I've enjoyed the most in the stories I've uh, enjoyed the most around uh, experimentation when it comes to onboarding was Jana Busto from ProdPad and the ProdPad team. And what I love about their story is they actually experimented with shortening their trial period and uh, I think they first maybe had a 30-day trial period or a 15-day trial period, and they said, what if we cut that in half? I think it was 30 days to start. They cut it in half, and they saw that their uh, conversion rate doubled. Uh, and they were like, okay, what if we cut it in half again, and they cut it in half again to about seven days, and again, they saw an increase in their conversion rate. And like I thought this was a really interesting story, and it goes to what you're saying as well in terms of the urgency, but then what they did was something even cleverer after that is they then gamified the process for the trial and they incentivized users with extra trial days by doing key actions that they wanted them to do in the app. If it was a product management software, like the first thing that you needed to do was to create your first task. If you did that, you get it, You got an extra day in your trial. I invited five team members, you got an extra five days. If you added your credit card, you got an extra 10. And really using the trial as a way to motivate their users to actually take the key actions they wanted in the app but also in the first case, by actually reducing that period so they had that extra urgency to get motivated to get doing things, I thought was really great. I have yet to maybe see somebody else uh, experiment like this, but I'd love to hear if there's anybody else knows any other stories. Uh, please share.
1: Yeah, that's a really clever kind of gamification way of doing a trial. It sounds complicated from a dev perspective, but it definitely sounds interesting. It sounds like that worked for them, right?
0: Absolutely. It did. Yeah, I think that's it for today, Ward. Uh, I see we've run up on uh, time, but uh, is there any sort of final thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with uh, before they go? How can they keep up to uh, speed with what you're working on? Uh, any last tips? Yeah, so you can uh, find us at memberspace.com and you can find us on uh,
1: Twitter uh, at Memberspace. Um, you can find me, I'm at Ward Sandler. On Twitter. So feel free to uh, DM me or if you want to send me an email, I'm always happy to help answer people's questions. Uh, It's just ward, W-A-R-D, at memberspace.com.
0: Awesome. Uh, Thanks so much for joining the show today. I really appreciate the time and uh, wishing our best of luck going forward. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers.